You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Amen. Let's remain standing as we now pray, as we open up God's Word. Let's pray that things we've been singing this morning would become reality in our hearts because, oh Lord, it is true today that you are the living God. Father, it is true today, you are the God that came for us. And God, every one of us in this room is undeserving. God, in the core of who we are, we are sinful, God-opposers, ones who wanted to live our lives in our own terms, in our own way, but yet Christmas reminds us that you're a God who loves us too much to leave us in the wickedness and the wretchedness of our own sin. And Jesus, you came to this earth to show us the way to God. You came to this earth to reconcile us to a Father who loves us and who has a good plan for our lives and meaning and purpose for us. And so, Father, today as we open up your word, I pray that we'd have the full reality of Christmas, the full reality of God with us clear in our hearts. And God, we confess this morning that we try our hardest to understand it all. We want so deeply to get this in our hearts, but we can't make that happen. And we feel so limited in our finite understanding of an infinite God. And yet, God, we believe this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do all these things in us. You can show us a greater picture of Jesus. You can illuminate our hearts to worship you with all that we have. And you can connect us right now in this moment with the Father as we open up your word. And so, God, we pray it would be so. We pray we wouldn't just come here this morning and hear a Christmas sermon and go home unchanged. But instead, oh God, we pray that we'd know the full reality of Jesus Christ among us, God with us right now in this place, that you would be truly honored and glorified. Oh God, help every heart here to get this, not one of us to miss it. For this is Christmas. You are Christmas, God. And we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray these things together. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat one more time. Psalm 97 is where we are this morning, Psalm uh, chapter 97. Unconventional Christmas text for sure, but yet one that brings us to the heart of Christmas. What's the heart of Christmas? It's worship, and we know that Christmas is a time to celebrate the reality of an ultimate king of the universe who chose to leave his royal throne of heaven and enter into our darkness, our sin, and our pain that we might have be alert to the things of God. And so we're gonna look at Psalm 97. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, please just lift up your hand. We'd love to get a copy of God's word into your hand. It's your Christmas gift from us to you if you don't have one at home. And uh, so we want to open it up together today and just read of what the full reality of Jesus means at Christmas. And I want you, but every Christmas I come to this place where I want to worship God fully at Christmas. You ever get there? You just want to worship God fully, but yet, I don't know if you're like me, I feel so confined to be unable to do that in my own strength. And part of the reason is I think is that my, my little pea brain gets so focused on this vision of a baby in a manger that I somehow can't get beyond the baby to see the grander picture of who God is at Christmas. You ever find that? You get locked and loaded on this baby and you, it's just hard to think of worshiping a baby. Some of you here are like, oh, I could worship a baby. They're so cute. They're so cuddly. And I know, oh, you guys, that's great. I think they're cute and cuddly too. But to worship a baby? 
And for a lot of us here, it's like a baby. It's a baby. Whatever, it's a baby. I've seen a lot of babies. I've now three go through my house. Got one at home. They're fun sometimes. And, but to bow and worship, I just have a hard time reconciling that in my brain. And I think many of you are like me, even if you admit it or not. And so um, I think passages like Psalm 97 help us get beyond the baby and get to the fullness of the glory of who the baby really is. And the baby really is this. The baby is really Emmanuel, Matthew tells us, God with us. It's not just a baby in a manger we're worshiping. It's actually God with us, completely God. Not an almost version of God, nor a cheap knockoff of God. John 1, 14 tells us that Jesus coming is God incarnate, God in the flesh. And so when we get this picture of the baby, we also have to couple that with the fact that the baby is not going to just remain a baby. He's going to grow up. He's going to be the savior of the world. And right now the baby is reigning on most high at the right hand of God the Father. But even in the manger, the baby was completely, fully, ultimately God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us the same thing. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, God has chosen in the last days to speak to us through his son, verse 3, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is Jesus, and this, I pray, this passage in Psalm 97 will open our eyes and our hearts to see the full reality of what it is that God is with us. And so even before we get into the text, one more thing I have to tell you about this text. If you see it, says Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Uh, this is talking about God, but it's also talking about Jesus Christ. If Jesus is fully God, the passage here talks about Jesus Christ. And so when the Psalms speak of God reigning, it's also speaking of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, the reign that he came to establish when he came to earth. Revelation points this out. It's all the things you're going to see here in Psalm 97. It's Jesus himself who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, it says in Revelation 19. It is Jesus himself who will reign forever and ever in Revelation 11, 16. It is Jesus who will return to judge the living and the dead in 1 Timothy 4. It is Jesus who will execute judgment among the nations. And so when Psalm 97 refers to God ruling and judging, remember it's God, Son, Jesus that this passage is also talking about. The Jesus of Christmas is also the God of the ages. The Jesus of Christmas is also a God of the ages. It helps us adopt a true heart and spirit of worship at Christmas. The Jesus of the manger is the God of heaven. So let me read this magnificent hymn to you. It's a hymn of worship celebrating the Lord's kingship over all his creation, particularly focusing now on his universal rule that assures us as his faithful people his final victory over evil, his final victory over sin. Let me read for you and give you a new perspective on the manger this morning. The Lord reigns. This is the baby that came to us that first Christmas morning, Psalm 97, verse one. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness 
and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Isn't that awesome? This is baby Jesus. And this is why we worship at Christmas because the Lord reigns, the God of the universe came from heaven to earth for us and he reigns, he reigned as much as he does, he reigned as much in the, in the manger as he does today in heaven, the Lord reigns. And what can we do in response as we worship him? That's, that's all we can do in response. There's nothing we can say, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can give. All we can do is simply worship the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. That's point number one in the text here. It's this, I worship Jesus because simply he rules. Do you see that in the text? I worship Jesus because he rules. It's not even what he can give me or what he can do for me or, or what I think he is or what he, uh, he isn't. I worship Jesus for one reason. It's because he is the ruler of all things. Look at how this passage starts. It says the Lord reigns. This is the recurring theme of the Psalms. Jehovah reigns. It's also the essence of the gospel and the foundation of the gospel kingdom. Jesus has come and all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. Just think about what this means. The Lord reigns. It means God rules. God sits in the highest seat of authority. There is no supreme court of appeals when it comes to Jesus' decisions, he is it. The buck stops with him. Jesus is the first word and the final word. He is the ultimate king. He's the king. I know he's just a baby, but he's the king. Think of how fired up we get when royalty comes to Canada from England and all the pomp and all the things that surround that. And, and when the prince and the duchess came last time, I just caught a glimpse of it on the news and there's the, the red carpets rolled out and the, and the photographers were there and the celebrations were going on and people were like smiling and, and rejoicing and just wanted to touch the prince and see the prince and get a, maybe a picture with the duchess. And really? Really? We get all fired up about that and yet when it comes to Jesus, we kind of kind of sit there docile and yet look what happens when, when Jesus comes. It says here next, the, the Lord is one that truly reigns. That's just whatever. The Lord truly reigns. When Jesus comes, look at this. It's not just people that rejoice. It's the whole earth that's going to rejoice. It's the whole earth that's going to rejoice. And the coastlands will be glad, it says. Again, this is a reference to the fact that all of creation is subject to the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. And just as, we important, just as important as for understand that it's Jesus' reign, 
the, the, the magnitude of Jesus' reign. It's also for, important for us to understand the scope of Jesus' reign. What does Jesus reign? It's not just over the peoples. It's over all of creation. It says here the, the earth is going to rejoice. All of nature will rejoice. The coastlands will be glad. Do you realize that Jesus has so much power? He controls the sun like we control the switch in our home when we go in the light switch. Do you realize that Jesus has so much authority that he controls the rains like we control the faucet in our homes? Do you realize that he controls the oceans like, like the people at Great Wolf Lodge control the, the wave pool? Your Jesus doesn't just control nature, he controls all of creation, all the, think of all the animals and the, God, Jesus controls all those things like a well-trained pet responds to his master. So every creature ever created responds to the voice of Jesus. That's what it means here when it says that the earth is going to rejoice. When Jesus comes back, there is going to be a celebration. We celebrate now that he's, the fact that he's come once, but when he comes back, there is going to be a celebration of all celebrations. You forget about red carpets being rolled out. We can't even picture what's going to happen. That's a full reality of Jesus Christ, the influence and power of the Christ child. He goes on to say in verse two here, the clouds and the thick darkness are all around him. These are words that echo the appearance of God's Shekinah glory on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 in Deuteronomy 4. It's, it's helping us see the mystery and the awe and the sense of otherworldliness and unapproached majesty of Jesus. This whole idea of smoke and thick darkness kind of emphasizes the fact that we can never fully understand or comprehend how awesome Jesus is. How awesome is he? His righteousness, it says here, and his justice are the foundation of his throne. This is Jesus. He is the righteous, ultimate judge. He doesn't miss any evidence. He isn't fooled by false testimony or swayed by crafty lawyers. Every sentence he hands down is going to be perfect and proper for the crime committed. And get this, Jesus always, always gets his man. Even justice Delayed is still justice. No one gets off that ought to be punished. This is Jesus. God is not just a good judge. He is the perfect judge, the one that we can most fully trust. He's the honorable judge. And when he comes back, yeah, he came once to begin the establishment of his kingdom, but when he comes back, his kingdom's gonna be established forever. Oh no, they're working on that right now, pastor. Like they got these little coalitions going on. They're gonna like stomp out ISIS. They're not gonna do it. They're not going to abolish evil. Who's going to abolish evil? The, the one who sits on the throne of righteousness and judgment. He's going to come and do it, amen? amen? Starting to open up your mind a little bit to the reality of that this isn't just a little baby we're worshiping. This is the God of the universe. He's going to bring, it says here, he is going to bring fire that comes before him. That's judgment, his holy anger and judgment is gonna devour those who choose to disregard God's ways and the evil that is so prevalent. Those who choose to disregard the gospel and live their lives as if God doesn't exist and it's just them that matters. Jesus is gonna come and the fire that's gonna go before him is gonna burn up all the adversaries all around as a forest is decimated by fire so all those who think Christmas is a sham and Jesus is a myth Believing that there's no punishment for sin, that's all gonna be made right one day. This is the power of Jesus. 
Not only does he come in judgment, though it says in verse 4, his lightnings light up the whole world. The earth sees this and trembles. Jesus' lightnings light up the whole world. He's not just come to bring a light to the world. He is the light of the world. John 8, 12 tells us that. That's why the sky was dancing and illuminating with stars. That's why there's so much going on that Christmas morning because the light of the world had come. What was the star signifying? That the light of the world had finally come. And Jesus' lightnings, Jesus' lightnings make the sun look dim in comparison. That's the glory of Jesus. His lightnings make the sun look like it's just a faded picture of Yellow. Jesus didn't come to carry your flashlight. He came to be the light of the world. That's why the angels were so much singing in the song, Hark the Herald. That's why we're singing about this. Hark the Herald angels sing about life and light and all he brings glory to the newborn king. This is the awesome Jesus of Christmas. So awesome is he that look what happens in the earth sees and they tremble. This is a, can be a dual reference here. The earth sees, they understand the fullness of this. When Jesus finally comes back and it's fully revealed, they see, they're gonna, we're gonna see and we're gonna tremble. This is probably a reference to that. There's gonna be a little bit of holy fear going on, this bit of sense of like, this is way too big for me. I, I don't deserve to stand. The whole earth is gonna hit the deck. What do we do when greatness walks in? We bow, the whole earth is going to bow down to Jesus The mountains are going to melt like wax before him, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens are going to proclaim his righteousness. The heavens are already proclaiming his righteousness. Every time you look in the sky and see the stars and and catch a glimpse of the magnitude of the solar system and get out your telescope and really look and you can look as far as you can see and you can't see far enough to get to the end, it's already a picture of the majestic nature of Jesus Christ. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All the peoples, every tribe and and tongue, all the peoples are gonna see his glory. Every nation, everybody, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too because of Jesus Christ coming on earth. So what do we do in response to this? The, The glory, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Man, it's going to be awesome when that day comes when everybody sees and knows fully. It's not going to be great. But in the meantime, the Lord has given us his spirit and given us his word that we might see Jesus here and now for the fullness of who he really is. How do we respond to that? The, verse seven tells us all worshipers or images are put to shame. Those who make their boast in worthless idols, worship him, all you gods. Worship him. We're supposed to respond with worship. There's only one thing we can do, and it's worship. Why? Because all these images that we have and these idols that we make for ourselves are nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus makes everything else look dull and useless and blah compared to the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of himself. We're called to worship. We're not called to worship the things that we so easily get caught up in. We so long for more money and more prestige. We're so proud of our relationships and our charitable deeds. But you put these things next to Jesus Christ and guess what they are? They're like, ugh, nothing compared to the glory of Jesus. Jesus. 
We're called to worship him in the fullness of who he is. Verse 7 tells us that all the gods will worship. What's that referring to? We know there's no other God. There's only one God. There's only God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's only the triune God. What are all these other gods? It's probably reference to the angels. Even the angels are going to worship Jesus. They are worshiping Jesus. They're going to worship Jesus fully. And that is what God wants us to do right now this Christmas season. He wants us to worship. He wants us to sit in and join in the heavenly throngs that sing praise to God and, and give our lives to the glory of God who, after reading just these first seven verses, cannot somehow be captivated again by the glory of Jesus. This is the truth of the God that we serve. This is a God that came as a helpless babe. What irony, isn't it? What irony, a helpless babe when he is really the God of the heavens. How can we not worship this God who is so unlike us? You read that, and this is a God that's so unlike us. How can we not worship a God who is so unlike us, but was so willing to come and be like, like one of us that we might know him? We got one thing to offer Jesus this Christmas. It is our true, unhindered, unashamed worship. That's the one thing we have at Christmas. And we read these, these passages, and isn't it great to see that the full counsel of God's word? We were talking as elders before, before service today, and it's so hard to get the full scope of God, the full scope of God, and to know the fullness of Genesis to Revelation and the full reality of God. And so isn't it so good to get beyond our little narrow scope of a baby in a manger and get the full picture of Jesus again? It leads us to hearts of worship. This is what we were created to do, to worship. We miss this part. We miss not just Christmas. We miss our whole lives. God created us to worship. God created our souls to be stirred by this. God created our our lives to be energized by a greater view of Jesus Christ. And so to miss this isn't just even about Christmas. It's just to miss out on life as a whole. Rory Nolan, a guy who's devoted his life to simply, plainly worshiping God, came up with four things that I've adapted that I want to share with you. It's, it's, it's what our response ought to be to this worship him, worship him. Our response ought to be to the greatness of Jesus. What can I do? I must worship. Got all the eyes in our society, right? iPhone, iPad, I, I, I. Here's a good eye for you. I worship I worship. Here's what Mr. Nolan reminds us that worship, let this help you this Christmas. Now get in the Christmas spirit. We don't care about that stuff, but, but get a heart that is in the right posture of bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Rory Nolan reminds us that we are commanded to glorify Jesus. Sorry, first of all, we're created to praise Jesus. Isaiah 43, verse 7 and 21. I formed for myself you that they might declare my praise. He's formed for himself as people that we might declare his praise. Why are we here? Why are we here on earth? To worship Jesus. 
Yes, it's to function in society. Yes, it's to have relationships and make a positive impact on people. Yes, it's to live life to the full, but ultimately all those things are encompassed in this fact of worshiping Jesus Christ. You are placed here on this earth first and foremost before anything else, before your to-do list, before anything else that you have planned in your head. You're created and put here on earth to worship Jesus to be a part of the choir of the redeemed, to sing praises to God forever, that your whole life will be a song written for the glory of Jesus Christ. You're created to worship. You're also commanded to glorify. Psalm 22, verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Help you understand what it means that that we are called here in this passage to worship Jesus. We're commanded to glorify Jesus. Created to it, we're commanded to it. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe, that passage says. This is what Jesus recruited you to do. More than doing stuff for him, more than than making an impact on those around you, what he's created you to do is, and called you to do and, and commanded you to do is just stand in awe of him. It's part of the salvation deal that you sign up for when you say yes to Jesus. You get in the line that says you'll spend your life worshiping. It's in your job description as a believer. But not one that's like, oh, it's my job. One that like, I get to do this forever. We're also called to honor Jesus. Philippians 3.3. True believers worship by the spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. In other words, part of our DNA as believers which has been imprinted on our souls when the Holy Spirit moved in is this innate desire to worship Jesus. By his spirit, we are called out of this world to see Jesus and to worship him fully. And finally, we're compelled to adore Jesus. Psalm 146, verse two, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, the psalmist says. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being or I have my breath. As long as I'm alive, the one thing that will consume me is this, speaking of and singing to and proclaiming through my life the wonder of Jesus Christ. That is worship. If you've truly seen Jesus, You know this isn't a chore to worship him. If you've truly been saved from your sin, from darkness and hell to to, uh, righteousness and life and light, you get this reality. I don't have to tell you this morning to worship. You just naturally, that's why you're here. You naturally come in here and you, you can't just sit in your seat and sing these songs. You worship because you've seen Jesus. And so I'm not trying to scold you this morning. I'm not trying to command you to do anything. I'm trying to help you see the glory of Jesus and help you understand that you're created to simply do what, I, what, what the scriptures call us to do is worship him. And when you get on that page, when you, on that page means on your face before Jesus, your life is going to be totally changed by the glory of Jesus. And you'll be compelled to worship him. What does compelled mean? It means that that man, I can't keep this to myself. It's like seeing a shooting star. Who's ever seen a shooting star and kept it to themselves? Anyone? No, even on your phone, you'll call your, call your whoever else, and you're like, I saw a shooting star. And the person is like, so? It's like seeing the Northern Lights for the first time. I remember being in Saskatchewan, taking a car from the college I was at to the middle of nowhere. I didn't even know where we were. 
But whoever was driving, they shut it down in the middle of a field, and I'm thinking either they're going to kill me or something good's going to happen here. And he just stopped and said, look up. And we just sat and looked up for about 20 minutes, and finally, out of looking up, a bunch of us sitting on the hood of a big old beater car, the northern light started flashing, and we were just like, Wow! There's no cell phones in that day, so I couldn't call anybody, but man, I wanted to. All the way home, all we were doing was like, that was unbelievable. I've never seen, you don't see those things in Ontario. There's too many lights. In Saskatchewan, there's nothing but darkness in the sky. This is what it's like to truly see Jesus. It is, it is, we're compelled to worship. We're not just created to it. We're not just commanded to it or called to it. We're compelled to adore Jesus. And, and when we see the full reality of what the manger beholds, it's not just a bit of straw and a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the glory of God himself. Our only response is, I just want to worship. I worship. Let me help you understand that worship is what worship is not, because I think we sometimes can get this all mixed up and what Jesus is not, we sometimes so trivialize Jesus Christ in our lives, I think, and what we call worship is more just self-gratification and we make Jesus something that we can fit into our lives that's gonna help, hopefully I can be the God and he can do all the things that I want him to do and yet that's not worship. I want you to know that Jesus this morning is not my personal Santa that I hope somehow to manipulate through good behavior. That's not Jesus. And if I get the gifts under my tree that I like, then I'll worship. That's not Jesus Christ at all. That's not Jesus Christ at all. Jesus Christ is God himself. He is a God to be bowed to. He's a God to be revered and respected and rejoiced over. This is Jesus today. No matter what your circumstance, no matter how good or bad things are, no matter what you get or don't get under your tree, that doesn't negate the fact that we, were, we are compelled as believers to worship Jesus Christ. That is where our true delight and joy and hope and meaning in life is found right there. In one word, I worship I worship. I think God is calling us to worship this Christmas with all these truths now ringing into our heads and our hearts. He's calling us to worship with a greater intensity than ever before. With a greater exuberance than ever before. With a greater passion than ever before. God is longing for us to worship him truly and fully. I pray every year for myself, I pray every year, God help me know what a true heart of worship is and sometimes I think I'm getting it and other times I think I'm so far away I'll never get it. But the grace of God is that he opens our eyes to see these things. If you're hearing them for the first time, let God astound you with how great he is and just spend this next week worshiping. I pray that we'll be greater worshipers this year than we were last year. I have to think to myself, what would worship look like if I was physically present when all this came down and and I was physically present at the manger and I'm physically present when Jesus comes back? I think it is going to totally rearrange our whole idea of worship. I think we won't worry about what anyone else thinks anymore. I don't think, I know we're not going to worry about what anyone else thinks anymore. We're just going to be simply we're gonna be like the mountains. You know what we're gonna be doing? We're gonna be on our faces before God, a bumbling mess of joyful tears. 
And I encourage you just to take that into this Christmas season. Like, we gotta be stopping so passive in our worship. We're so fired up about everything else. We get so aggressive about everything else. Even as Canadians, we do. Let's ask the Lord to give us a, a holy, healthy ambition and fire to just simply worship him this Christmas. This picture of Jesus, I pray this rearranges your whole week. I pray it rearranges your Christmas Eve that you now want to spend time wherever you are, whether you're here or somewhere else, just in the presence of God worshiping. I pray it rearranges even your Christmas day. And when you, when you get to your Christmas day, you wouldn't really care about the dinner and the presents and all those things as much as you care about worshiping and getting your eyes and your soul fixed on Jesus again. And that your heart this Christmas would be pounding with anticipation of getting to worship the Lord in a humble awe and adoration because when we do that, look what happens next. The, your whole life is gonna change. We, we get this idea of worship and we start making worship about God and not about ourselves as we're so prone to do. And guess what happens? Your whole life changes. Look at verse eight to 12. This is, this is really a call to worship, but then we see the results of worship here. God changes everything we worship him. When we fully get our minds and hearts on Jesus, he changes absolutely everything in our lives. That's point number two here. When I worship Jesus, my life, you can add the word, completely changes. When I worship Jesus, my life completely changes. Look what happens here when you see and you hear and you take time to soak in the full reality of not just the baby in the manger, but the God of the heavens. It says here, Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Happens in verse 10. A love for the Lord grows and a hatred for evil takes over. We realize that God preserves the lives of his saints and he delivers us from the hand of the wicked and so hope sets in. Light is sown for the righteous and the joy for the upright in heart. Our light becomes alive. We rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. A spirit of thankfulness comes up. When I worship Jesus, my life completely changes. You see, you know what changes our lives? It's not just an intellectual knowledge or theological knowledge of Jesus. It's the worship of Jesus that changes everything. But I've known all about God my, my whole life and I've known all about Jesus my whole life but nothing's really going on on the inside. It's, it's not just knowing about Jesus that changes. It's when you truly get on your face and worship Jesus that things start being rearranged in your heart and in your life. The ESV says this in the study notes that, that what happens in believers is the assurance for the big story of the whole world enables the faithful, of, faithful God lovers to live their little stories in faith knowing that Jesus came once and he's going to come again and in between those times, I have nothing to fear and everything to be joyful about. If you notice here in the next these five verses, eight to 12, we have several terms for the same group of people. This is talking about believers, those who love the Lord, God's saints, the righteous, the upright in heart. Yes, Jesus is a game changer for everybody. He came and changed the game for everybody. But predominantly, he changes the game in the lives of those who respond to him by faith and say, I want a savior, I need a savior. He completely rearranges our lives to be worshipers. You know the number one thing God wants to transform your life to be is to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. 
It's not even to be a gifted preacher. It's not even to be the most selfless server. It's to worship Jesus Christ. And out of worship of Jesus Christ, all those other things happen. When we worship, we're transformed. When we worship, we're transformed. We get so busy, so busy, so busy, so tied to our agendas. We, the power of God's not here. The power of God's not here at Christmas because we haven't taken time to worship. Here's what true worship really is. When I worship Jesus, my life is going to change. Here's what true worship really is, according to a, a guy named William Temple. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It's the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose. And all of this is gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for all that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. And when we worship like this, man, things begin to happen in our hearts. When we realize that Jesus is so much more than we could even begin to describe or comprehend, look what happens. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice. We realize that, that this great God is the one who came down for us. He's not just a God up in the boardroom of heaven making decisions. He's not just a, a God that's parading around in power keeping his people under his thumb. He isn't pretending to care and saying the right things. He cares enough to leave his heavenly home and take on the form of a man and come to earth that we might know him and we worship him because of that, he starts changing everything in our lives. First thing is this, I discover true joy. Zion hears this and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. I discover true joy. It's not until we truly see God and worship God that we discover true joy says here that the Zion hears and is glad. You think there's lots of things that make me glad. Lots of things make me glad too. Eating out at a restaurant makes me glad some nights, especially when it's my turn to cook. <laughs> Hanging out with friends makes me glad. Watching my sports teams win sometimes makes me glad. Lots of things make us glad. Is this the glad it's talking about? It's so much deeper than the glad it's talking about because those glads are good. Whatever you're glad is, look at the things that make you glad, the things that you're like, man, I can't wait to do that this week. It's going to make me glad. You know how long your glad is going to last? How long? The evening, at most. The true joy that Jesus gives us is so much more meaningful and deep than a simple glad of the things of this earth. It's even bigger than the rejoicing that we see here. This is all wrapped up in the, in the true joy. Gladness and rejoicing come with joy, but it's, it's the fullness of all these things that goes beyond what we can experience here on earth with the things of this world. Rejoicing is the next level of gladness, really. It's, it's that delight that kind of stays for a while. Got a bit of a buzz. Got a little bit of a, a high going on. You know, the, the, the marriage proposal finally came, and it's kind of like it's going to rearrange my life. I got that, that, that rejoicing. Or the baby finally came, and man, it's been a long time, or the house offer got accepted, and man, we got a new house now, and whatever your good news is that you rejoice, and it's that, that kind of a little bit longer of rejoicing than the gladness. You know, there's glad and there's rejoicing. 
But guess what? The rejoicing too fades and the person you marry sometimes gets a little bit annoying, believe it or not. And the baby starts to cry and the house has repairs. But when we worship Jesus, guess what? Gladness and rejoicing never have to end. They never have to get smaller. In fact, Jesus promises us that by his grace, when we turn to him in worship, when we get a, feel our joy meter going down, he will replenish us every single time. He will top us up with more joy. And that comes through worship. The joy of the Lord comes through worshiping Jesus Christ. And when we can't seem to get out of our funk, you know what snaps us out of our funk? Worship. I've tried everything, I've tried, worship snaps, where does joy come from? It comes from worshiping and setting our eyes on Jesus again. When I can't seem to shake my negativity, you know what the answer is? What is it? It's worship, it's getting our eyes on the greatness of God again. When I can't seem to find a positive spin on anything, what's the answer? And guess what you'll find? You'll find your heart is gonna resound with joy that you've been trying for so long, so many years to find it, you can't, I can't seem to, it's worship. Look what else happens when we start worshiping Jesus. Jesus becomes my everything. I want Jesus to be my everything. I strive for it. I just can't seem to make it happen. Well, you know how you make it happen? By worshiping him. The Lord reigns. Knowing again the Lord reigns. For you, O God, are most high over all the earth. You're exalted far above all other gods. When we see Jesus, our heart's response is to to lift him high, to exalt him. Exaltation is defined even online in Wikipedia. Here's how exaltation was defined. I found this interesting. The action of elevating someone in rank, power, or character. character. Here's the example it used for exaltation. Like the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. Because that is the ultimate exaltation. Placing him higher than everyone and everything else. Number one on the speed dial of my heart. My first thought, my greatest pleasure, my deepest delight. Above all my other competing and compelling priorities and demands, Jesus takes precedence. And that happens as we worship him more than even being priority. My social outings and my sports endeavors and sleeping in on Sunday and exercising. Whatever happens, Jesus comes first. How does that happen? Getting low and making him high. Then we have a command here in verse 10 that it's also honestly a response to worship. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. This is really worship. I love Jesus more than evil. I love Jesus more than my own sin. My love for God takes the place of my appetite for sin. You ever thought of it this way? When we sin, all we're really doing is we're, we're worshiping ourselves and our own appetites more than we worship Jesus Christ. But when our hearts are truly stayed on Jesus Christ in worship, you know what happens? Our, our hearts seem to, to not delight in the things of the, the flesh, the things of, the, of evil anymore because we, we already have all of our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And so how do we stay away from sin? How do we, how do we have the, the, the power to overcome sin? How do we have the, by living lives of worship? By remembering how perfectly delightful and how superior and how fulfilling Jesus Christ truly is. And as we worship Jesus, you know what happens? The delight of your soul becomes for the God that made you and loves you more than for the sin of the flesh. 
I know we battle with sin, even at Christmas, it doesn't seem to go away, does it? The battle with sin, it just doesn't seem to go away. I wish it would go away at Christmas, just for this week, God, like, take it away. That'd be so helpful for me and my family and everybody else for that matter. But I just can't make it seem to go away. You know the, the, the ways it goes away, the predominant way it goes away is to worship Jesus. Because we worship Jesus, as a, the, 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 the worship of Jesus is the sole factor of my heart. What happens is like rain on your windshield. The worship of Jesus coats your soul with the sin repellent. And it seems just to dribble off you because you already have everything you need and are satisfied by. So you don't need any of the other stuff that Satan says you need. I love Jesus more than evil. This is a result of worship. Jesus changes everything. You know what else happens when we worship Jesus? I find real hope. I find real hope. Not superficial hope, not hope for a week or a day. But I find real, lasting, lifetime hope. Look at verse, second part of verse 10. He preserves the lives of his saints. The, the psalmist here is seeing the greatness of Jesus Christ. And he realizes if Jesus Christ has complete and sole authority and reign over all the earth, then I have nothing to fear but everything to hope for. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. I find real hope because Jesus reigns, because Jesus came, because Jesus saved me. (coughs) I know that he's gonna cover me until the day that I meet him. This is Romans 8. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? According to this, it says here, he preserves the lives of his saints, which means that, man, I can't screw this thing up. I can't mess up God's plan for me. I can't slip out of his sight or sidestep his care. God preserves my life. He delivers me from my enemies, from the hand of the wicked, delivers me from the enemy, which is Satan. It means that even the enemy can't take you down anymore, even though it feels like he's gonna take you down. It feels like maybe even this morning he is taking you down. You can take hope in the fact that the baby that came for us in the manger is actually the promise that God says you turn to him by faith and the enemy will never take you down. That we don't have to go to bed fearing anymore. We can have hope as long as we're here on this earth, we know that God's got us covered. No matter what happens to you, God's got us covered. We have hope. No coworker can take you down. No nemesis can win the slander game. No annoying neighbor can ultimately take you and finish you. How do we know? Because Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. Look at verse 11. Another thing that changes as we worship, as we worship Jesus, we realize those things. So true hope takes over. As we worship Jesus, the light is sown for the righteous. He sows light for the righteous and gives again. It says joy. See the the theme of joy here? Joy for the upright in heart. This is why everybody was singing songs on Christmas morning. This is why people were coming from miles to see Jesus. This is why the kings were so frightened because, because God is here. And he's sowing light for the righteous. When I see this sowing light for the righteous, I just know that my path is gonna be made clear. Yes, my path to heaven is made clear in Jesus Christ, but also my path in this earth. When you sow light, what do you think of when you think of sowing light? You think of someone like spreading, putting light in front of your steps. I think of those, those walkways up to people's houses that, have, that are just those little lights lighting up the walkway. 
So you get out of your car and you're kind of like walking, you're trying to watch and then you get to the walkway and you're like, ah, now I'm set, right? And you go, that's what God does in the lives of believers through Jesus Christ. He sows lights one step at a time every way, even when it seems unclear, when I'm not sure what the next step is, I just gotta follow the lights and God's gonna get us to the finish line to the end. Your road to heaven is made clear by Jesus Christ. This is all found as we worship those. We try and do it in our own strength, our own way. We're not gonna have a clear path. It's as we worship, get our eyes off ourselves and onto Jesus and worship him. He makes our paths clear. And the last thing he does here is this. He overwhelms my heart with thankfulness. Thankfulness takes over my heart. It's a very practical passage, which I love practical passages. It doesn't just leave us a whole lot of knowledge. It just shows us how God, we can expect God to work in our lives as we set aside time daily, especially this season, to worship him. Thankfulness takes over my heart. I don't know about you, but in this point in the study prep, I got to this place where I want to stand up in my office and yell like, Amen! You just study these things, you just, the joy comes. You're like, this is all the things that I really long for and hope for and strive for, and they're all found in Jesus Christ. Amen. And as you read these things and you get the greater picture of Jesus, thankfulness begins to take over our hearts. Rejoice, it says, and give thanks to the holy name of Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for and so little to complain about. But even at Christmas, I always find myself with something to complain about. I astound myself at my own sinfulness and selfishness. If I catch myself complaining, especially at Christmas, you know what the, you know what the reason is? Because I'm not worshiping Jesus. Because I forgot again the glory of what Christmas really is all about. And worship just breeds in me thankfulness. Complaining drains the soul. Thankfulness is energized in the soul as we worship. There's just lots to be thankful about, isn't there? Every Christmas I find myself again in that place of looking over the past year. I'm very introspective. Looking over the past year and just starting to think about all that's happened in one year and there is so much to be thankful for. So much to worship God about. Yeah, Christmas is, yes, he came, awesome, that's the best gift ever, but there's so much more even on top of that that I, don't believe, I can't believe we have been given by Jesus. You know, a good exercise of worship this Christmas is stop and be thankful. Not comparing yourself to others or thinking what you could have, should have, but just be thankful for who Christ is and what he's already given you, all the spiritual blessings, all the physical blessings, all the blessings are from Jesus Christ. Santa brings us nothing. Sorry, kids. Jesus brings us everything we need and even some of the things we want because he's so gracious to us. And to acknowledge that today, this Christmas, it's just, it's just, it's just worship. I spent some time this week worshiping Jesus for first and foremost salvation. I still can't believe that he saved a wicked man like me. I can't believe I get to stand in front of you guys every week and open the Bible and tell you about God. This week I was in a place where I was like, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm not holy. I know who I am. A little quiet voice. That's why he sent Jesus. It kind of made me weep on the way home. Thank you, God, for saving me and calling me to do what I do with my family, which I'm so blessed with. 
Who would have thought last Christmas that there'd be five of us instead of four? (laughs) Not this kid. What a blessing. Even with all the things that go on in families and health concerns and all those things that happen, thank you, Jesus. That's worship. Thank you, God, for my church family. Spend some time worshiping the Lord this week, thanking Him for you. I know many of you will be gone for Christmas Eve and doing everywhere, so I just want to say now, we're just so thankful for our church family. Elders, we talk about this all the time. We're just so grateful we worship the Lord because of what He's doing in us and through us here. We pinch ourselves weekly. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to worship Him. There's just so much. Every provision we have is meant to be sent back to God in worship. The fact that we have houses and clothes and food and we take those things for granted. God doesn't want us to take those things for granted this year. He wants us to stop and worship him. Acknowledge they didn't come from me. They came from you, oh God. And honestly, if we have a heart of worship, everything's gonna change. Everything is going to change. Today. Not just this week, but today. And I really firmly believe that God put this these three psalms on my heart because God wants to stir in us as a church again a heart of worship. It's one of our pillars, did you know that? It's one of the things we say that we'll never lose sight of. It's one of those things that we say we'll never get cold and old and it's one of the things that we have to fight for quite honestly. It's a heart of worship. And yeah, we didn't talk Christmas story. We didn't talk Christmas story this Christmas. We didn't highlight the shepherds and all those things to the way that we normally do. But you know what was more important than even the shepherds? It's that your heart is in a place of worshiping fully Jesus Christ. Seeing fully Jesus and worshiping fully Jesus. For if we do that, we don't even need a day. Christmas is every day. Let's pray. God, I simply ask this morning that you'd help us come and worship our King. Fill us this morning, God, with a delight for the true reality of who you are. Ignite our souls again, God, to the awesome nature of Jesus Christ, the one who came for us, the one who was born into a manger, the one that grew up in poverty and suffering, the one who ultimately bled and died for our sins, the one who is exalted right now at the right hand of the Father. God, help us see the full reality of Jesus this Christmas and help our lives to be consumed with one thing and that is worshiping your son. Oh God, we want to worship. God, we want you to do this in us. So God, right now I pray that every heart in here would just be willingly bowing low before you and saying, oh God, come and renew my heart in the things of Jesus again. Renew my heart in worship. I surrender again, God. May this year, this day be about Jesus and not about me. And may my life be spent starting today with the fullness of the meaning of worship, which is all found in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for this season. We thank you that we can celebrate. And oh God, as we sing this last song, help us to celebrate the full reality of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. 
For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.